with you this morning. We're back from Hawaii, my family and I. We're very grateful to God that he provided a way for us to, to spend a week there. If You're in pretty bad shape if you can't enjoy a week in Hawaii. I know if you live there, that's an entire... I really wouldn't want to live there, but um, I want to live here. This is where God put me, and this is where he called me. It's good to be home, like I said, but boy, that was a great week. Uh, and God was good to us. Last Sunday, we went to a, a church that I'd read about in a magazine, one of the 25 most innovative churches in America. They meet in a high school. They have 10,000 people, and they, they still are portable, so I thought that'd be interesting to see. And uh, since, you know, we've been portable for a while. Actually, they're our age. They're about 20 years old and uh, still portable. That was very refreshing to be in worship with them and to hear the message, good message. And it also actually helped me because I wasn't quite sure how I was going to make the transition from Hawaii to this week of work. And so it really helped me begin to think, you know, hey, that's what I do. You know, I'm responsible for something similar to this. And <laughs> so it helped me shift gears in a big way. God really used that. So that was good. We're looking at my life. We're looking at the life God has given us and what he wants us to do with it. Alex has been digging into the first part of Ephesians 4. We're looking at Ephesians 4 and 5 over the, the next several weeks, uh, beginning a couple weeks ago. And basically, you find out in these two chapters um, what life's all about, what God wants us to do with our lives. Today, we're going to look at some very specific things that God wants us to change. And I don't know about you, but it really helps me to see the bigger picture. If if I'm going to change something, it helps me to see the big why and how. And God is gracious. He, he doesn't have to tell us why. Or he doesn't have to give us really the biggest picture. Since the bigger picture, since he made us, it's right for us to do life the way he wants us to do it. But he is so gracious that he lays this out in Scripture and explains to us why. The way it works is if if you um, commit your life to Christ, I don't know if you're here considering that, thinking it through, maybe you haven't yet come to Christ and made him the boss, but um, what happens is when you commit your life to Christ, you actually are, are turning around from going your own way and going God's way, and then you have everything you need to live the good life God wants you to live. Because once you commit your life to him, Scripture tells us that his spirit comes to live in you to give you the resources you need to change. But the key to changing is learning how to cooperate with him. And so we have all the resources we need. We can see the good life that we want to leave, live. And God wants to work with us, but he leaves it up to us to continue to work that out, to cooperate, to learn how to cooperate with him and continue to make the decisions and the choices and to live life in a way that really pleases him. So here's the bigger picture. I want to review some things that Alex went over in the last couple of weeks as we move into some specifics about the new kind of life that God wants us to live when we commit ourselves to him. First of all, uh, we, in order to, to live a different kind of life, we need to live with our calling in mind. So that's one of the things God says. Live with your calling in mind. Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. The, the key idea here is when you come to Christ, you get a new name. You become a Christian. Now, you bear that name wherever you go, whatever you get involved in. You, you're basically, that's your basic new identity. You're a part of a new family who follows Christ. And we're to live up to the new family name, to live worthy of that name. I grew up in a Christian home. And my dad uh, led us to live in a way that pleased Christ. And so I knew as a part of our family, we didn't do certain things. And we did other things that maybe maybe nobody else does them around me. But these are the things that we do because we bear the name of Christ. And we're, we're, we're Lanthrops and we've all decided to do this. And then as I grew up, I realized, hey, that, that's involved in, that's what it means to follow Christ. I've decided to follow Christ. I want to live up to that name that I bear, that I carry with me. So that's what happens when you commit your life to Christ. You have a new name, and we bear that name wherever we go, in everything we do. We're, we're to realize as we get into Scripture that living worthy requires change. Ephesians 4.17 says, so I, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Literally, the word live there means to tread all around. It was originally written in Greek. Sometimes you can get the idea of what the Bible's saying by getting into the original language because they're a lot richer than English. But um, the original word there means to tread, just to walk, to tread all around, to walk all around. And so the idea is that we no longer live like we used to, the old way. We, we, we need to choose a new way of walking. Everybody has pretty much a characteristic walk. I don't know if you have a good friend. You, sometimes you can see them way off in the distance before you can recognize their face, and you go, oh, yeah, that's Charlie. I, you know, I know that's, I can tell by the way he's walking. You know, you, everybody has that, that way of walk. Well, when you come to Christ, what the Lord wants is for you to change the way you walk, the way you live, the way you treat people, the way you relate to, to life, the way that you handle things. Your whole value system begins to shift. Um, if you follow Christ, you say no to the old ways and yes to a new walk, a new way of living. That's the idea there. Walk is pattern of living, the way you go about things. To, to change your ways, to change your walk, you have to change the way you think. That's what it says at the end of that passage. Uh, you don't live any longer as the Gentiles do uh, in the futility of their thinking. So to change your ways, you've got to change your mentality. Look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. This is just a review before we dig into what we're going to look at today. It says you were taught, in verse 22... With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Here's the idea of the word, the phrase put, to put off. It means literally to cast away, to put it away, to reject it. And the way we're wired, and because of the fact that human beings fell, and I don't have a lot of time to get into that whole thing, it's what, what is referred to by theologians, <laughs> as the fall, is the moment when the first man and woman decided to rebel against God. God made us, he made people, put the first man and woman on the earth, and he, he gave them some boundaries. 
He said, this is what you can do, and it was a lot, there's a lot of good stuff there, but here's the boundary. Don't cross this boundary. Don't rebel in this way. The moment they rebelled, then men and women fell. People fell. There was a fall. And so we don't, we, we now struggle with obeying God. And we wrestle in ways that we wouldn't have to if we had not, if the first man and woman hadn't made that choice. And then every one of us have ratified the decision ourselves by deciding to go our own way as well. So anyway, we now have to put off, in order to do what God wants and to live the way God wants us to live, now we have to reject the old way and decide, make a decisive choice to live the new way, to walk differently. So we've got to change our mentality to change our ways. And we put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We've got to change our minds to change our ways. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we've been made now. We we have turned around from going our own way. And what God wants is he wants us to begin to live a righteous and holy life. All that means is he wants us to handle life, our relationships, our responsibilities, our situations that we face every day. He wants us to look at those and say, what's right before God? That's righteousness. I'm going to do right before him. First thing on my heart and mind, I want to do what God wants me to do with this circumstance. And to be holy means that you're set apart. God is holy. That means he's completely other. He's different. He's separate from human beings. To, to be a holy person means that you're set apart for God's purpose. You're set apart for God. And so we live that way. We, we recognize that. That's the perspective that we carry into our lives. We, we live out of our perspective. And your perspective basically is what you think works. What do you think is going to give you the good life? So we do what we think will make life good. And a part of changing your ways, the way you live, is understanding what reality is, according to the scripture, according to, to God himself, and make a big mentality shift from doing life my own way to being a follower of Christ who chooses faith. Because basically what you have to do is you have to choose to live up to the family name in each situation and please God and then trust him to come through with the good life. He has the good stuff. He's given us the resources we need in the presence of his Holy Spirit in our heart, those of us who've committed to follow him. And we now rely on him in his way and change our thinking because, boy, it's, it's easy to go our old way. It's so familiar. It's like an old slipper that's broke in. I got some new slippers a couple, couple months ago. Had to break them in. Now they're broken in. They're old slippers that fit like a slipper. <laughs> it's a good thing. But we have the old ways. It's so easy just to live that way. And now 
we're to completely renovate our minds and choose to live differently. So we have what we need, but we, we need to approach it from a different perspective. I handle life, relationships, and situations with this in mind. I want to do righteousness and holiness before God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to dig into the specifics of living a life that's worthy. So I wanted to step back and review the background because we live our lives in front of an eternal audience. It's a saga that goes on. And we live our lives before God and his angels, before the fallen angels, before the demons. We, we live our lives in a context that is really pretty amazing. We, we know you can't see it. You've got to live it by faith. But I wanted you to see some of the context before we dig into the specifics. Because if you're like me, I, I need to know. I need to see that. So I can choose in the moment the right things. Really helps me. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. I'm going to read through it and then we're going to dig back in to the specifics. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now here it is. God's explaining why we need to do these things. He's telling us we need to stop something and start something else. We need to stop falsehood and start telling the truth. And then he tells us why. He doesn't have to do that. He's God. He could say, because I said so. But he doesn't. He says, the reason you, you need to tell the truth is because we're all members of one body and it causes problems if you don't. For next verse, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. These are the key things that we should put off. As we set out to live a life of righteousness and holiness, a life that pleases God, that's worthy of the family name that we bear <clears throat> as believers. These are some of the specifics that we need to work on and change and Things we need to reject and things we need to replace. It's a picture of changing clothes, taking off the old clothes, putting on the new clothes. Uh, the key to change you find here is rejection and replacement. That's what you get from this passage. Notice he always says, stop this thing, but replace it with this. So we not only need to stop doing the wrong, but we need to replace it with the good. And God gives us the heart to do that. To really change, we've got to do, we've got to keep rejecting and replacing. And when you follow Christ, when you decide to follow Christ, He gives you the power to do this. So that's the first step. The first step, if you really want to change, is to decide to follow Christ because then you have the power, the resources you need to change. His Holy Spirit comes in to live in you and He gives you the help you need to change. I, I have a laptop that I do my work on, and Monday I 
plug the cord into the power source, plug the other end into the laptop, and it was not working. The, the cord, the power cord, had frayed, and something inside must have broken. And I got very concerned very quickly because I knew I only had a few hours left of battery life where I could get to the information I need. And so what I did is I informed the rest of the crew in the office, <laughs> and we all started working on how to find the power cord. I mean, I, we scrambled. I got it by the next day. I'd figured out which one I need um, and, and got that plugged in because everything was on that laptop that I needed to get my work done this week. It was very important, that cord. I needed to be able to plug into the power source. And, and that's really how it works in the Christian life. You know, we, what happens is you, you get into the scriptures, and we talk about them every week here. You get into the scriptures, and you grow in your understanding of God and his ways. You gain some information that really begins to shape your perspective. In the scriptures, you get the information you need that really begins to change your mind and help you change your ways. But the Holy Spirit who lives in you is the power source. And so you, you need to be plugged in to him. And sometimes there can be a kink in the cord. There can be a break in the say You need to repair. You need, you need to do what you, you got to do to straighten it out and, and get plugged back in. But he's the one that helps us do right. You, you cannot reject and replace things without his help. You need him. And so, just like I was scrambling for the power cord, if you find that you're low on the energy to change, you, you aren't going to be able to change. You aren't going to be able to choose the life that God wants you to live on your own power. You need his help. And so, plug into him. Stay in the word and allow him. What he does is, at the right moment in the right situation, he brings the, to mind the things he said that really help you. He, he's the one who gives access to the information you need to really change. And he gives you the power to do that. So stay plugged into him. So as we launch into these specifics, keep that in mind. It's not, it's not just a self-help thing that we're looking at here where, okay, i got to reject this and replace it. It's not going to work. You need God himself to give you the power to change. First thing to do, he says in this passage, is to reject falsehood. Ephesians 4.25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood, reject it, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You know, lying comes naturally to us. Hang around in the nursery. You'll see it happen. You know, have a, have a child. Shortly you will find out that they lie. Why do they lie? They lie because they want to get their way. That's why they began to lie. So, so do we. Adults do the same thing. We want to get our way. We may, we may not want to work hard. So somebody asks us if we've got anything done, and we tell them, well, I, yeah, I've hit a couple snags as I've tried to get on this, and I'll get on it right away. Um, haven't been any snags. Just haven't really done a lot with it yet. So getting on it right away means as soon as it, Looks good, I'll do it. But, you know, what we, we get in situation, we don't want to admit something to people because we want to manage our image. We want a certain reputation, so we cover ourselves. 
and we only let them see certain things. Or we're in a conversation and we say something that is a slight exaggeration. It's only slight, but it makes us look so much better than if they knew the, the bold truth. So we, we lie. The replacement for this is speaking the truth. I was a campus aide for three years at Riverside Poly High, and <clears throat> that meant I walk around with a walkie-talkie and make sure the students go to class. And um, they called me a narc. I wasn't really a narc, but um, we had certain sections of the campus stations that we were supposed to be at. And uh, one time, my boss called over the the radio. And asked where I was. Well, I was supposed to be in the 600s, but I was in the parking lot talking to my friend. And I said, I'm in the 600s. As soon as I said that, I felt it. The Holy Spirit said, Randy, you cannot do that. At least you cannot do that and continue to have a good relationship with me. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, no. I know what that means. <laughs> I've got to go to the boss and tell him I just lied through my teeth. This is going to be incredibly humiliating. So I made the walk of shame. And I went to the boss. I admitted it. You know, that's a real deterrent to lying, <laughs> is speaking the truth. I, I didn't want to do that again. I, I, I didn't want to have to admit to him. Yeah, he knew I was a Christian, knew I was heading toward the ministry. He knew all that about me, and here I am lying through my teeth about where I am to cover myself. Speak the truth. We need to aggressively tell the truth appropriately. You don't have to spill everything about yourself in every situation, but the idea here is that what's on the inside needs to be represented on the outside accurately. So that people know you, they can help you, you can enjoy life. A friend of mine says that truth, the truth is the doorway to your future. So you don't want to lie. You don't want to lie in business. You don't want to lie in dating. You don't want to lie in these situations. Because what happens when the truth comes out, if you've been lying, the door is slammed shut because of your falsehood. So you watch that. The reason we do it is to create well-being. Your body has to communicate with every part in it. You know, the brain, everything has to work together so that you're healthy. And we're all members of one another. and We need to know the truth about each other. We need to know what's going on so that we can support each other. So we can encourage, so that we can point out blind spots and things in our lives. So it's important to reject falsehood, replace it with the truth, so that, that we can function well as a church body. Next, we're to reject anger that lingers. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger is normal. You're going to get angry. But we need to deal with it quickly and rightly because problems come when we stay angry or when we just let loose. Of our anger. If we let it simmer, anger causes some real damage in our lives. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that the root of bitterness defiles many. It grows up in you if you allow it, and it defiles many. It, it messes up, it chokes the joy out of your relationships. 
So it's very, very important to reject anger that, that lingers and replace it with reconciliation before you go to bed. Reconcile every day. Reconcile as quickly as you can. Get it straightened out. If there's anger and you need to talk, if you've been offended, you need to talk something out with someone, take the initiative to do that. If you've offended someone and they're angry and you know it, get it straightened out. You don't play games. In the Bible, it says you don't play games. Whoever notices the problem first is the one who straightens it out. They're the ones that take initiative. But anyway, reconciling before you go to bed. Why do you do that? To avoid a demonic foothold, it says. We're in hand-to-hand combat. Now, if you just started following Christ, this may surprise you that it's such a battle. But if you're trying to do right, trying to follow Christ, you're in a war. You're in a battle every day of your life. And it's kind of like a hand-to-hand combat. And what happens is, if you, if you give in to anger, you let it simmer, and you don't deal with it, that gives the enemy, the devil, a foothold, a place. Literally, it means a place in your life to camp out and cause problems, to hassle you, to keep you from doing what's right. So we deal with anger quickly so that we don't give an advantage to the enemy. Next thing we're to do is reject stealing and cheating and fraud. Ephesians 4.28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. You know, you may not go down to the store and pick something off the shelf, hide it in your purse and walk out, or tuck it in your coat. It's a real disadvantage for shoplifters, I guess, in California. You don't wear coats that often. But, um, you know, you may not do that. You, you, may not, you may not do something like that. But, you know, the ways that we do steal are more like stealing time at work by doing personal stuff or cheating on our taxes, or exaggerating on our expense account. Just little ways we get the advantage. We're to stop that. If you bear the name of Christ, you don't do that. And you replace it with hard work. That's your tendency to take every advantage, to sneak by and cross the line on things. Work hard instead. Literally, that means to feel fatigue. You're to wear yourself out working hard. God blesses that. He blesses hard work. And the reason you do it is because the Lord wants you to have enough so that you can live and then you can benefit others and share with them. Jesus is, if you follow the Lord, he's going to peel you inside out to begin to want to do good to others. That's been the amazing thing to me. I don't naturally want to do good by people. My native instinct is to hoard and to focus on myself and to want to get my way and enjoy my life. But what the Lord does, he comes to live in you and he peels you inside out. And truly, he, he has made, my experience is, he has made me want to do good for the people around me. And it's him doing it. It's not me. This is not my nature. I mean, I'm an okay guy. As far as guys go, but it's not my nature to want to do good to the people around me, to go out of my way anyway, to do good. If I just accidentally happen to help people, that'd be all right. But God makes me want to do 
good and be a blessing to the people around me. So the next thing we're to do is reject unwholesome talk. It says in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The word unwholesome means rotten. Don't let any words that stink come out of your mouth. And it's, it's not hard. We all know what those are. I mean, we all know that you can say something. I mean, I'm not even talking about foul language. But you're in a conversation, and you say something to be cute, and it just takes the wind out of the other person. You just hurt them. Don't, don't say words that, that hurt and harm, that stink. But only say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about the aim of your words. What are you trying to accomplish? You, you can say what you want. It's a free country. But it's not helpful to say everything that comes to your mind. So think about it. What do we usually, we usually want to use our words so that we'll feel better. Either about ourselves or we'll get something off our chest. We're angry. And it's, the turmoil is building and we just blow because we think we're going to feel so much better after we let the people have it that need to hear. But you see, it's completely the opposite. Once you follow the Lord Jesus, Everything shifts. Now, I'm not to use words that make me feel better. But I'm, used to, I'm, I'm to say words that actually benefit the people that are hearing them. And I, I take my words and what I'm trying to accomplish or, or trying to say, and I fit it to their needs. Not mine. Their needs. God, it takes God to do that. He's the only one that can help you with this. So we reject the unwholesome talk and we replace it with words that help and strengthen others. Do this with if you're married, with your husband or wife, with your kids, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your roommates, with your classmates. You, you, you fit your language and your words to benefit those who listen. Why we, we do it is we want to benefit the people who listen. Next, we need to, or lastly, this is the last thing on this list here, we're to reject malice and its actions. Malice is the big category, and it gives us several actions that flow out of malice. Um, It says, first of all, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here it begins to list the actions that go along with malice. Malice is... uh, a summary word, it's listed last, and it means basically that you desire to see another experience pain. You want to hurt them. And here's the way we do it. Bitterness, we determine pained resentment, and bitterness usually shows up in different ways of trying to hurt people. Rage, that means you just get furious and you blow up. Anger, it's not not the same kind of anger that we were talking about in verse 26, but this anger is a violent anger. This is when you're throwing stuff and you're hitting people. Um, <clears throat> brawling, that's yelling and screaming at people. These are the literal translations of these words. Brawling is yelling and screaming. Slander is saying bad things about people or God behind their back. To their face, you're one way, but when they're not there... <clears throat> You're sticking the knife in their back and you're twisting it with the words. Along with every form of malice, that's, those, that's the big category. You just want to hurt somebody, so these are the ways that you do it. 
Instead of that, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is what we replace it with, kindness, which means to be useful or helpful. This is what the Lord's going to lead you to do. He's going to lead you to be a kind person who blesses the people around you by helping them with stuff. Being good. This is the big category. We replace malice with kindness. We're to be compassionate. That means to see through the eyes of another. You see things through their eyes. This really helps with adults to connect. If you're, if you're having a hard time connecting with the people around you, start looking at life through their lenses, through their vantage point. Really help you connect to them. Uh, it also helps with kids. If you have small children or younger children, um, and you're just wanting them to do what you're telling them to do and quit hassling you. It will really help if you can begin to think, well, you know, maybe they're cranky because of this. So if I take care of this, they'll be less cranky. Or, you know, you begin to see things through their eyes. Really, really very helpful thing, (laughs) compassion. But we're to be compassionate, we're to be forgiving like Christ forgave you. It's, It's our duty to forgive because of Christ's death. On our, ha- on our behalf. If you're a person who's committed your life to follow Christ, you're a believer, you've decided to follow him, it's your duty to forgive because you have been forgiven so much. If you genuinely understand the level of forgiveness you've received, it spills over into your life. That's the basis. Not You don't forgive because the person is so worthy of being forgiven. You forgive because of what God has forgiven you. You keep it going. It's our duty to forgive. It's not right to hold back and let anger simmer and become bitterness and resentment and blow up in our face. Anger and bitterness flow from our old life. And if you give room, the enemy will use it. And it will flow like lava out of a crater and really cause some damage. But forgiveness flows from the Lord. He gives you the power to forgive, and it's refreshing like a stream to you and to the people around you as you bless them with it. Now, why do you do that? You do this because you don't want to grieve God. Malice and its actions grieve the living God who lives in you. If you know God, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you can feel his grief at times. That instance at Pauly High, I felt it. I knew, oh boy, I'm going to walk of shame, you know, I'm going to have to go do that. You, you can feel it at times. The reason is because once you come to Christ, you're sealed, it says here. You've been sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God. You've been sealed by him, and he lives in you. And it's interesting, a seal is an emblem of ownership. It's a picture, this is a word picture. It's an emblem of ownership and security. You sealed something. And you knew who this belonged to, and you knew that it was safe. That's the idea here. So you don't want to grieve the one who lives in you, who is your seal of ownership and security. And I'd like to say, if you are someone who's committed your life to Christ, if you're not changing right now or being led to change, there's a problem with your power cord. There, there's a disconnect 
figure out how to reconnect with him. He's going to lead you to the good life. And he'll lead you to be a blessing and find his blessing as you do good to those around you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that is so clear and helpful. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us, making us your temple. And.